This is Mark Gerson, and I'm the rabbi's husband. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Mark Gerson, and I'm the rabbi's husband. And here, as ever, to unearth the inspiring, instructive, and highly practical wisdom of a Torah passage with a fellow seeker of biblical truth. And I am delighted today to be joined by Benjamin Watson. Benjamin is a Super Bowl-winning tight end who played for the Patriots, the Browns, the Saints, and the Ravens. Married since his rookie year in the NFL, the Watsons now have seven children and is a family that is deeply devoted to their Christian faith. Benjamin has been a finalist for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award multiple times during the NFL. He has spoken at the March for Life rally in Washington, D.C., along with the vice president. And he has led a charitable initiative called Freedom Fridays, where he identified a charitable organization each week, highlighted it, and made a significant personal donation. The charities are on his site, thewatson7.com, and reflect a Christian family that manifests their devotion to their faith through the alleviation of suffering and the creation of opportunities in ways that genuinely and directly benefit the least fortunate among us. Benjamin is also the author of Under Our Skin, which is a book about race, and New Dad's Playbook, which is a book about fatherhood. And Benjamin's chosen passage is Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. So Benjamin, welcome to The Rabbi's Husband. Great to be here with you. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. So tell us um, what happens in Jeremiah 9, 23, 24 the background of it, perhaps the words themselves, and uh, why is it significant to you? Uh, well, you know, several, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, some of the work that we do and, and, and again, in reading about you and learning a little bit about you and what you've done, I'm, I'm really inspired by your, your heart for people. And, you. Um, you know, I, I believe that, you know, throughout scripture, you know, scripture is, is one story. And we see the story of a people and a story of a loving, just God who orchestrates his plan um, on earth through people. We see a God who punishes, but also a God who uplifts, a God who has mercy, a God who is also just. So many complexities and so much that we can learn from Scripture. And I remember a little while ago, I was reading through the book of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is kind of the weeping prophet. <laughs> you know, he's, he's talking about the, the um, exile as well as, um, you know, things that were going to happen to the people of Israel because of idolatry and disobedience, the same things that we struggle with today. And Jeremiah is talking about, um, he's prophesying about what's going to happen. But then in, in, in chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, he, he kind of pivots and he talks about wisdom and he talks about God's kindness and his judgment. And, and the verse is, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom or the mighty man boast in his might or the rich man boast or glory in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. And when I read that verse, uh, Mark, a little while ago, I was thinking, wow, loving kindness, justice, and righteousness are what God delights in. But what he doesn't delight in is when people boast or glory in their own wisdom or their own riches or their own strength. Why? Because he's given those things to us. And so that first part of that verse tells me and tells us we need to be people who are humble. We need to have some humility in the way we speak, in the way we act, in our thought process, because of the blessings that we have. How dare I think I'm better than anybody because of a talent that I was given, because of the wealth that we were given, because of you name it, living in a certain part of the world as opposed to another. 
what makes us think that we're better than anybody because of our ethnicity, our religion, whatever it is? We shouldn't boast in those things. We should be humble. And then in the last part of the verse, it talks about God being God of kindness, justice, and righteousness, which is what kind of informs how I believe we should act towards people and the things we should be involved with. Now, when I read this passage um, in preparation for this conversation, what struck me was that you so embody it in the sense that it says, let not the wise boast their wisdom, let not the strong boast their strength, the rich boast their riches, but let people contribute these gifts which have come from God to the greater glory of God. In other words, don't deny these gifts, thank God for them, work on them, develop them, don't be falsely humble, acknowledge God gave me strength, God gave him wisdom, God gave her riches. It's all good. These are all great things. Now our job is to channel these gifts from God, which do exist for justice, kindness, and righteousness on earth. And so when you were playing in the NFL and you obviously had gotten such gifts from God, obviously, physical gifts, intellectual gifts, the gift of EQ, so many gifts you got from God that channeled into an outstanding 15-year career in the NFL. Did you or your teammates or anybody else you played with ever how often did you think, I have these gifts from God, and how can I better contribute them to his glory or to his service on earth? I think that's what needs to motivate us. There are several, you've spoken to 20 of them, several guys in the NFL, but not just the NFL, you know, players are people. <laughs> and so we're really no different than anybody else. We have different talents. Obviously, we've honed our talents in a different way than maybe someone else, but we still have you know, similar relationships, emotions, those sorts of things. And so there are many within the NFL that understand that, you know, we have a specific platform. Our platform happens to be on Sundays uh, in front of hundreds of thousands of people and millions on TV and those sorts of things. And so how are we using those gifts to better uh, the communities where God has placed us? Many guys, you know, I've been in different cities. You named four different cities where I lived in. I'm not from any of those cities. I was born in Norfolk, Virginia, um, lived in South Carolina in high school, haven't played in any of those places, but God strategically places his people where he wants them to be. And so we're supposed to plant roots where we are and affect those communities for change. And so we have those conversations a lot, more than you may think in the NFL, like, look, how, how can we be agents of kindness? How can we be agents of justice? How can we be agents of righteousness and, and, and push for a certain moral standard that not only benefits us personally, and as a representation of the God that we serve, but will also benefit our country collectively for the long term. Right. And I think one example of that is in, I believe it was 2018, when you obviously had so much abundance in gifts that were so manifest on the field. In 2018, you said, let me launch uh, Freedom Friday. And you highlighted, you first acknowledged that you had these talents. Then you acknowledged a problem, which is there are so many charities out there and it's hard to pick the right one and give and give the right way. So you did that work for people and used your platform and your money to benefit these charities, which genuinely alleviate suffering, save lives and help those in need. And we're able to encourage so many others to do so because of the gifts that God had given you. Yeah. So, you know, with our foundation, one more, you know, we try to spread the love and hope of Christ to one more soul by meeting people's needs and by promoting education and and um, supporting other existing charities. And throughout my career, one of the great things I think about being in the NFL is the ability to walk into different spheres, walk into different rooms, um, go to different places in the world, um, spend time in, in other countries and seeing you know, poverty in, in ways that we don't really imagine here in the United States and experiencing these things and then saying, wow, okay, I've seen all this. How do I make a change? How do I help others realize 
what's going on next door, but also around the world. And so with Freedom Friday, Friday, it was just an idea. Like, look, at that point, I played two more years after that. But at that point, I was thinking, I don't know how much longer I have. You were 37, <laughs> so, right? Exactly. <laughs> I was 37 at that point. I was like, I don't know how much longer I have. Here's an idea. And, and people got behind it. And so, you know, again, it was, it was inspired. Well, not even really inspired, but instructed by this verse in Jeremiah. So many of us have opportunities. We can be involved with some great organizations, cancer or the homeless or, you know, even dogs and pets, those sorts of things, you know, rescuing animals. You know, there are a lot of things that are important, but we have to hone in on what God wants us to be involved with. And so for me, it was, okay, I'm gonna look for organizations that have to do with kindness, justice, and righteousness. And so many of the organizations, some of them were protecting persecuted Christians around the world. Some of them were rescuing uh, people from sex trafficking. My wife and I have been involved with uh, going out of the country and actually witnessing some of the work that some of these organizations do um, in restoring justice systems to protect the poor and mostly young women and children from the violence of, of sex and human trafficking. So bringing that to awareness, you know, some of them was Bible translation for places that don't have it. Some of it had to do with, you know, locally in New Orleans, a place called New Orleans Mission that feeds the homeless. And so it was really great just to see um, how people were like, wow, I, I didn't know that those, those uh, you know, organizations existed. Thanks for, because people, people at heart, I think that people, a lot of them want to help. They just don't know where to plug in. And you use your, your platform, which derived from the athletic gifts that God gave you to, to enable those organizations and the beneficiaries of them to benefit. Now, I read that you also showed up. I believe this was your, um, your goodbye letter to the NFL. You said God repeatedly showed up. What did you mean by that? You know, just that he was faithful. God is faithful when we are. And what does faithful mean? We've moved five, six different times in my NFL career. I wish I would have played in one place in my entire career. Nobody wanted to keep me that long. So, so they kept kicking me to the curb and I went somewhere else. Well, it was a long career. <laughs> it was, it was. So we moved around and every time we've moved uh, with, with kids and a growing family and wondering where they're going to go to school or if they're going to homeschool or we don't have any friends, where are we going to live? We, we stayed together or just rented a home. We, we said we made a commitment that we're just going to stay together. It's going to be a pain to move an entire house after two, three, four, five years. But we don't want to be split up in different places. We're going to stay together. So God always provided a home for us. Huh. Sometimes at the last minute, he always provided um, a church family. He always provided one or two solid people in these different places, Cleveland, New Orleans, New England, Baltimore, to come alongside us. We saw him show up in different ways when I've had injuries. And I remember sitting in the meetings and writing down all the, I've had plenty of surgeries, plenty of injuries, and feeling like, man, I can't play. Am I worthless right now? And then I'll write down my injuries that I've had in the past. And remember, oh, he healed me from that. He healed me from that. Wow. He healed me from that. He's going to heal me from this. It may take a little time. He's going to heal me from this. And so he always showed up. He didn't always give us everything we wanted. I wanted to be a perennial pro bowler. I wanted to win multiple Super Bowls, got to win one early in my career, wanted to win another one. That didn't happen. There was so many things that I didn't get exactly what I wanted, but I can never say that God was not faithful to us and faithful to my family. Now, one um, interesting uh, uh, moment, I think, in your career was when you, uh, believe it or not, got called for unsportsmanlike conduct. <laughs> It was I've probably the only time. Oh, no, but then I was thinking about the time when you were celebrating the, the upcoming birth of one of your children. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. That was that would have been wait, 2009. Wait, year was 2009. 2009. What, ha what happened? 
Okay. What happened then? Uh, it was uh, my first child, Grace. She was born uh, my last year here in New England after being there for six years, 2009. And uh, we were, it was maybe December. We were playing, we were on a West Coast trip. We had played in Seattle, played in Oakland, I believe. And um, my wife was nine months pregnant all the way back here in Boston. Uh, we were always playing for New England. And so I was away from her for a week. I scored a touchdown in Seattle. And when I got back up, I put the ball under my shirt like I was pregnant and I rubbed my pregnant, my pregnant belly and I pointed at the camera because I knew she was watching, you know, basically kind of a shout out to her. And then the flags come out of the sportsmanlike conduct using the ball as a prop. And so now, <laughs> now, now you can do that. But back then, you couldn't do those things. You now you can do what? Not, now you, you could take the ball and put it on your shirt because I did it again when I announced the Twins just this two years ago. No flags. The league has changed. But back then, I was fined $10,000 simply for giving a shout out to my wife. And I said, I'm never going to do that again. But then they changed the rule. And so I did it again. Um, but this when time, the, when the flags came out in 2009, did you know what they were for? Yeah, I knew what they were for. And Coach Belichick let me know what they were for as well, especially when the kickoff team had to kick off, uh, had, to, had to move back to kickoff, you know. But it was a penalty that was worth it. Uh, we, actually had, we actually had the fine, the fine letter. We had it framed. And uh, put it in my oldest daughter's room. Uh, <laughs> that is great. That 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 is great. That that's something. That's something you got to read at her wedding someday. <laughs> exactly. You're exactly right. That's great. Now, um, when you're playing in the in the NFL, what is the role of faith, and and specifically, what's the role of specific biblical verses in the NFL? Like I know we, we we've had other guests who talk about the role of Isaiah six eight in the military. Like were, were there verses that were particularly important in the NFL? Were there uh, prayer sessions or or study sessions that lots of players participated in, and if so, how did it affect them on the field? It's obviously you know we play on Sundays, and so we're not able to attend church during the season. But we have you know the the, the faith is supposed to be lived in community, and one of the great things and things that I'll miss about the NFL is the fact that you have all these peers who you know many of them are believers, you know some are we have a mix just like any other workplace. But those who are, we, we're able to encourage each other. We're able to meet once a week, twice a week for a Bible study. We have chapel service uh, either the night before or the morning of a game, you know, with a chaplain. And, and you know, many times we'll, we'll walk through a certain section of Scripture throughout the year. The, the study may go through the book of John or through the book of Jeremiah or, 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 or have some sort of theme, whether that be um, courageous manhood or something like that. And we go and look at, you know, the life of David and the life of Samson and, you know, different people, um, that sort of thing we could do. So, and then I think individually, sometimes certain verses inspire certain players at certain times. As I mentioned for me, at one point there was a, there was a verse Psalm in Psalm 46, I believe, you know, be still and know that I am God. And I was in a time of turmoil and a lot of worry and anxiety. And that verse just really spoke to me at that time. And, and that was kind of the verse for the, for that season for me. And then there were other times, you know, you talk about the book of Joshua. Be strong I, I guess very, this is what you're saying. Courageous. God repeatedly showed up. Yeah, he did. That was the verse you needed at that moment. And exactly. And other, and, and guys, are, and, and you know, other players are like that, you know, they find different verses and then sometimes it's collective. And they want, and the great thing is, you know, after, after every game, you'll see a circle of players on the field. Sometimes they show it on TV. A lot of times they don't. But after every single NFL game, players from both sides come to the middle of the field. And after everybody meet and greet and do all that stuff, you'll see a circle of players uh, pray together. Both teams? Both teams, hand in hand. It, sometimes, sometimes it's three players. Sometimes it's 15 players. It just depends. 
but it's a known thing in the NFL. After every single game, if you watch, and again, sometimes they don't show it when you're on TV, but there'll be players in the middle of the field at the 50-yard line. We say, meet us at the 50-yard line, and we meet and we pray just to thank God for the game, pray for our families, pray for travel, and just, again, in in humility, uh, honor God for, you know, giving us the day, whether we won or whether we lost. Beautiful. And and, and this prayer is with players from both teams together in one prayer. Yeah, we, we come together, we we kneel, and usually the player, usually a player from the home team leads it. So, um, or sometimes a chaplain, but a lot of times it's a player, you know, it's, it's a player. Because again, you know, we're, we're, we're like anybody else. <laughs> it's that we have the ability, we're elite athletes that, that can play football really well. So we have um, struggles and, and we also have faith and we also, you know, seek God's face and, and do that collectively, even after a tough football game. So the uh, most frequent commandment in the Torah is do not fear. Something like 80 times it says, do not fear which is so interesting on any number of levels, because obviously fear must have been such a frequent part of daily life in ancient times, or else why would it be mentioned over and over and over again? So when I think of do not fear, like one of the things that I would fear, and I think almost everybody would fear, would be an NFL defender trying to take me out. Did you have that fear as a tight end, an offensive player? And if so, how did you overcome the fear of just some of the Biggest, strongest men in the world trying to physically take you down. You know, I think I got more fearful the older I got because I got more sense, <laughs> and I, had, I feel like and I feel like I have I have more to lose probably because I had kids and you know wife and those sorts of things. When you're when you're eighteen, nineteen, twenty five years old, twenty three years old, coming in as a rookie, you're fearless. You, you'll run through a brick wall. Um, you didn't. You, didn't you, you wouldn't have feared Ray Lewis. I played against Ray, and you didn't fear him. No, no, I didn't fear Ray. I played against Ray. I was aware of Ray. <laughs> so, so, so I wasn't scared of Ray. I didn't fear Ray, but I was very, very aware of where, where Ray was, um, for sure. A funny story about Ray. Ray Lewis is the only player that my mom called me about before a game to say, watch out for. She was afraid for you. She was. She was. She called me. She said, Benjamin, um, I was playing with the Browns. I think we played the Ravens twice a year. And then also when I was in New England, when Ray was a lot younger, I played him every pretty much every single year. We would play the play the Ravens when I was in New England. By the time I got to Baltimore, he was already gone. But I remember my mom calling me one one night and saying, four games, saying, Benjamin, get good luck tomorrow and and watch out. Just watch out for Ray Lewis. She was worried about her little boy. <laughs> so <laughs> But you know, you said when you're a young man, you you don't have the fear, even of a, a one of the greatest defenders or perhaps the greatest one of the greatest defenders of all time. Yeah. Who wants to get you? I mean, that's his job. Exactly. And that's because, his be, well, because, because you, you know that you're going to try to get him too. And you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. But, but you can't tackle him. You're, you're trying to get away from him. He's trying to get you. True. I can't tackle him, but I can block him when he's not looking. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I, as you get older, you said the fear develops. So, and, and, and we all lose the sense of invincibility as we get older. It's just interesting in, in that context is how it yeah. manifested. But how do you overcome the fear? Let's say you're 30, you're 32, you're, you're, you're now married with kids, you now have more fear. How do you overcome that fear when in the same kind of situation that you didn't fear eight years ago? Well, you learn how to play the game in a different way. You learn how to play the game smarter. And so in some respects, as you get older, you become a smarter player and a safer player because you know how to get your job done without putting yourself and other people at risk of injury as much. Football is 100% injury sport. Yeah. You're going to get hurt. 
Right. I've got hurt plenty, pr- plenty yes. bad, plenty bad, um, several times. But I think you learn what risks that you're going to take and what risks you aren't going to take. And then as you start to get older and you get too fearful, then you know it's time to kind of step away because football is one of those games you have to play full, full speed. But also I'll say this, you know, you talk about the tour, you talk about the fear, you talk about how how Moses is, is before the burning the burning bush and he's terrified, you know, because obviously a bush is burning, but it's not burning. And other than that, there's also a voice coming from this bush that is the voice of God which would be terrifying to any of us. And he says, you're on holy ground. And then when he's telling Moses that he needs to go see Pharaoh, Moses is talking about how he stutters and how, who, why, why should I go? And God tells him that he will be with him. And you see how God tells all these people, whether it be Moses, whether it be Joshua, um, the list goes on and on throughout, throughout scripture and the Pentateuch, how he's with you. I'm going with you. I will be with you in the fiery furnace. Right. I will be with you when you stand before Pharaoh. I will be with you as you go through the wilderness. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And so as believers, we have a a healthy fear that playing football has consequences and there are injuries that can happen. There are, you know, to your body, to your mind, all those sorts of things. There's a risk there for sure. But you also understand with the same hand that he is with you and that he will be faithful. And that he's promised those things, that he that he knows what's going on with you, he will be faithful, and that ultimately this this is not the end. Ultimately, if we can if we can trust our eternity to God, I can trust him with my career, and I can trust him with my relationships, and I can trust him with the things that I see right now, if I can trust my eternity to him. Beautiful. Well, Benjamin, thank you for such an interesting conversation about Jeremiah 923 and all of its uh manifestations and implications. Um, and the concluding question always goes from one text, the Bible, to another text, which is um, Andre Malraux's 1968 book, Anti-Memoir. And he says in the book, he said, um, I just ran into a man with whom I had served in the war. He said this man had saved a lot of Jews and then had become a parish priest. So I said to the priest, in all of your years of hearing confessions, what are two things that you've learned about mankind? And the priest said, I've learned two things. One, everyone is much less happy than he seems. And two, there is no such thing as a grown-up person. So, Benjamin, in, in your years in the NFL, a very long career, what are two things that you've learned about mankind? That's funny you mentioned about the grown-up person because I was having a conversation with uh, someone the other day, a friend of mine. We both have kids. And I was saying, man, isn't it weird that we have kids? Like, they look at us like we're grown-ups, but I still feel like I'm a kid. I'm just older. Like, that's great. I <laughs> like, think that's great. Absolutely. Like, I'm like, they're looking at me like I'm this wise person, and I don't really feel that wise. I just feel like the same kid when I was at home. So it's interesting you said that. Two things that that I've learned. Um, number one, I will say that God can use uh, your talents, but he doesn't need them. Mm. He can use your sport and your talents, but he doesn't need them. When I wrote that book, Under Our Skin, and when I wrote this Facebook post about what happened in Ferguson when it has to do, you know, having to do with race and being black in America and all the things, the emotions that everybody was having on all sides, whoever you, you know, whatever you thought the narrative was, it's kind of like the time we're in now, you know, an emotional time, uh, racially charged. Where do we go from here? What do we do? Everybody's aware of it. I was playing in New Orleans and I was kind of upset because I wasn't a starter anymore at that time was backing up probably one of the best athletes I've ever played with, a guy named Jimmy Graham, a great friend of mine. But I, I wasn't starting at, at the position. Every player wants to start. You want to be the, the starter. And I wrote that post, and it went 
viral and a lot of people, it resonated with a lot of people on a lot of different levels. I, I gained, you know, some notoriety for some opportunity to speak to people because of it. And I thought my whole life trying to be an athlete, I'm trying to be the best athlete so that people will know me. And God said, just be obedient. If I want people to know who you are, they'll know who you are. Mm. If I don't, they won't. But I don't need your NFL. I don't need you to score a bunch of touchdowns. I don't need it be nice, but I don't need it in order to elevate you for a certain time for a certain message to give that I want you to give to people. So I learned that. Secondly, I learned that it, it, it's not about me. I mentioned having a family. I mentioned having having children. And the greatest joy that you get, a lot of times you think it's going to be from something that you feel like you acclaim and accomplish for yourself. But really, the joy comes in seeing how your faith, your faithfulness and you doing your best, how it affects other people, your family, the good you can do for your family, the good you can do for other organizations, as we mentioned before, the way that you can spread love and hope to people because of your work. It's not about us. You know, our lives are really not about us. Our lives are best lived when they are poured out for other people. And I think that that's, that's what we, that's what we learn in scripture. That's what we see throughout scripture. We see a, a God who pours himself out over and over again for people who disrespect him and who love him sometimes and don't love him other times, just like we do. Well, absolutely right. And, and Benjamin, thank you so much for such a fascinating conversation and for being what, uh, what we Jews call a Kiddush Hashem, a sanctification of his name. Thank you so much. I thank you for the time, Mark. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You are-